Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you today. Good morning, Dr. Paul. How are you this morning? Doing fine and dandy. Good, good. I wish the world was doing a little bit better. Yeah, yes. Except uh, in the narrow sense, in the immediate sense, I think I'm doing quite well, and the family's doing well. Good. And you're doing well, I hope, uh, because you have to answer all the questions. If I don't have the answers, everybody looks to Daniel. Daniel will know the answers, so that's good. Okay, we're uh, not going to talk about COVID. COVID's over and done with. We're never going to see it again. They'll never have another pandemic. It's been erased from the pages of history, and it's always a bad dream. Yeah, Yeah, it is. A bad dream. Uh, just think of the people, even today, we still see the stories of the uh, consequence of totally innocent people dying from the medications. Yeah. That well, anyway, we've gone over that a lot. We we want to prevent this little war that's going on over there in Ukraine because uh, we don't need that war. <laughs> and uh, so far, our politicians aren't smart enough to say, well, you know, this is the time we should practice non-intervention. We should just mind our own business, stay out of the affairs, save all the money, don't kill anybody, and uh, everything would be much better off. It wouldn't solve all the problems, but somebody's arguing over there, but that's, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's an internal fight. Let the two neighbors fight it out and decide what happens. But that's not the case because uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how we are involved. You know, the president, last night, though, he was very adamant because he knows it's a good political statement. We will not be sending troops over there to fight Russian troops. Uh, yeah. And, you know, over the history of this country, we've heard that statement before. Before you knew it, our troops were fighting other troops. And it doesn't even take a declaration of war. The presidents just decide to send them. And uh, that, that happens. But there's a... Um, a couple things going on there that get, does get us involved. There is, uh, you know, there's been a question about uh, a no-fly zone. They've urged uh, the United States to do it because obviously, who else is going to do it if you really wanted to have a no-fly zone? So we'd have to be involved, and we're already involved very much with a lot of money and weapons and engaged. And if uh, Putin, Putin has a drawn a line, and he has for years. He says, "Don't move those NATO troops up." near us because we'll take that as as something that's very offensive and uh, we're going to deal with it but nobody believed them or they didn't care or some people thought well a little old war won't hurt our profit levels anyway so we'll, we'll let that happen but uh the no-fly zone uh, people are looking at this and they're saying you know this is um uh, not going to work. So right now, I would say, uh, you know, it won't work. But it's not a philosophic thing. It's sort of a pragmatic reason for not doing it. I would think the philosophic uh, opposition should be, it's none of our business. Why should we go over there and get engaged? Because why would that be a great deal different if we're if we're blocking off their air spaces and interfering and sending all the weapons over there uh, to the Ukrainians? Wouldn't that be enough <laughs> to aggravate uh, to aggravate the Russians? You know, it sounds offensive uh, to me. It offends my sensitivities too. too. Yeah. But anyway, they, they, the no-fly zone is uh, being talked about 
but uh, it doesn't look like it's going to snap right up. Nobody's saying that's going to solve the whole thing. It probably won't, but I would see it as a great danger yes. because, you know, can you imagine that uh, a Russian plane being shot down? You know, who knows they, uh, what, what could happen? So uh, no, no fly zones. And that would just uh, engage us much more because everybody would know it can't exist without us and it would be one step up and we don't need it. Well, anyone arguing for a no-fly zone, and there are a lot of crazy experts uh, around arguing for it, anyone arguing for it has literally no idea what it is and they should shut up <laughs> because for a no-fly zone to happen, as we know from when they've been in, in, uh, put in place, you have to take out all threats. That would mean that the United States military would have to knock out Russian S-400 and S-500 um, missiles inside Russia because that's where the threat's from. You're going to prevent them from flying. You would have to bomb Russia. That would start World War III and it would be the end of the world. So anyone talking about it is literally not a serious person. But sadly, it's the unserious people who are getting the most time on the news these days. But you know, Dr. Paul, it really is a, a, a proxy war. And us trying to analyze it doesn't mean that we're not emotionally involved to a, deg to a degree. And I know that we've we both feel terrible for the Ukrainian people. They're suffering terribly. They're going to suffer even more. It's a horrible tragedy that was completely preventable, uh, and it's just, it's just awful. So we're emotionally involved in it, of course. Anytime there's a war, it's always the people who suffer. It doesn't seem to be the leaders who suffer that much, uh, you know, unless you, know, you lose. But the, um, the one point that you made about Biden's speech last night was, was pretty fascinating, I think, because um, he essentially made the case for why Ukraine should not ever be in NATO, because he said, as you point out, we, should, we will not intervene militarily in Ukraine, we will not get involved militarily in Ukraine, uh, but we will protect our NATO partners. So imagine if Ukraine had been a NATO partner, the, it's, it's explicit in what he's saying that we would have had to have been involved. So the point is Ukraine was never going to be in NATO, as we said before, so why not negotiate? We knew that, that Ukraine and NATO was a red line. And the reason we knew this, and we have a piece by Jacob Hornberger on the ronpaulinstitute.org website that points it out. 13 years ago, a cable was written by William Burns, who's now the CIA director, a cable called Nyet Means Nyet. Very, very important. WikiLeaks released that cable. And in that cable, William Burns, who was then ambassador in Russia, communicated back to the U.S. government this is a red line. NATO membership for Ukraine is an absolute red line with Russia. If we continue to push this, it will end up in a conflict. We knew. So anyone saying now in the government, we had no idea that Putin would do this if we kept going on with NATO expansion. They knew. They've known for at least 13 years it would happen. The question is, why did they push it? Why did they push it? And I think what it is, is a proxy war between the U.S. and Russia, initiated by the U.S., and Ukraine is unfortunately suffering the circumstances. Your point about if they had been in already in, uh, in NATO, we'd have been much more engaged. But you know, the, the, the problem, problem there also is when we join these organizations and have mutual defense, uh, it implies 
that the declaration of potential war has already been there. Congress sometimes rubber stamps it, sometimes they don't, and they certainly don't bother with a technicality like declaring a war. They they they, they don't do that, but they just they just go on and uh, the Congress is is disengaged from it. Uh, so it is an important point, but we'd like to see a lot more of that. You know, not membership. And I think Taft understood that yeah, very clearly. Yeah. You know, we can look back and see the errors made and make these points, but it takes a little bit more for a person like Taft at that at that time. You know, was saying he he made the statements. He even he even concentrated on Russia. You know, yeah. it, it was a very appropriate statement of of being careful about this. But uh, you're absolutely right too about about the victims. The victims, the victims are there, and so often they're the young people. There, there's always somebody that's going to suffer the consequences, and uh, the, and yet the sad part is that the, in reality, the large majority of people in any country, uh, you know. Wouldn't vote? Oh, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think war's a good idea. Yeah. They just get badgered into it's the propaganda, and uh, we've been warned by a lot of people that propaganda is a very powerful tool, and the people go along with it. And that, and right now, boy, I tell you, uh, I was talking to Lou yesterday, yeah. and Lou agreed with me that there's this this propaganda thing, and uh, we probably expect Lou to to agree. But he said he thinks this is one of the worst yeah. times ever. Uh, for the propaganda, much much more concentrated, and and the uh, results have been more powerful than say going into Iraq. Yeah, you know, and uh, of course we tried to make that point, but that that is a, a powerful, powerful tool, and the Nazis understood it very clearly. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's not it's not excusing violence because violence is not excusable. But the real crime here is, as I said, we knew that that Ukraine would never go into NATO. We knew how Russia would react if we kept insisting that they have a chance of going into NATO. So why didn't we negotiate? Because we already knew those two things. Now we know that we knew those two things. Why didn't we negotiate and say, well, Ukraine wasn't going to be in any way. Let's, let's, let's make a deal. Let's figure out how we can make this work. For some reason, Washington wanted a war. Maybe it has to do with COVID. Who knows? Because certainly the hysteria from COVID is now transferred onto Ukraine. But the second one we wanted to talk about in this first segment, which is sort of about uh, escalation, a potential escalation, is about what the U.S. is saying it's planning to do. And let's actually move ahead to that second clip, because we already covered the first one uh, about the no-fly zone. If we can put that second one on. This is from our friends at antiwar.com. U.S. sending Stinger anti-aircraft missiles directly to Ukraine for the first time. First time ever, reportedly, the U.S. is going to send Stingers, which will shoot down Russian helicopters. So on one hand, Biden is saying, we're not going to get involved militarily. We're not going to send in troops. But then he's sending in weapons that will kill Russians. Uh, and the question is, how much of that will Russia take? How much of it, if they start losing helicopters from our stingers, how much of that will they take before they respond? And, and the other question is, why are we doing this? <laughs> you wonder, why, why do they go along? Why do these countries go along with it and do what we want to do? They do it in economics all the time. 
when we have these uh, economic uh, squabbles, you know, we're, we're going to put on sanctions and everybody signs up. We, we, we put out directives about uh, COVID and everybody goes along with it. It's the power that we have. Uh, it's, the, it's the sensation that we have an empire. We have all the weapons and all the money. But, of course, all that is dwindling. But, uh, you know, to, to me, this is uh, every bit as much war. I've argued the case that when you, when you embargo and, and, and boycott, and blockade and a person can't get access to their money even to their own citizens that we're seeing now over issues we'll block your banking account i mean those are those are acts of war and they're criminal and yet uh, people people tolerate it too much but it cer- certainly is an attack on liberty that's why whether it's a war against covid or the war uh, uh involvement that we're in- involved in over on ukraine and russia uh, the, the people suffer the most innocent people suffer. The people who pay the bills are the are the poor and the middle class. And uh, and I think uh, I I think those arms manufacturers are are doing pretty good. The pharmaceuticals did pretty good. So there seems to be some profiteering involved there. And uh, of course, a free market person would be delighted if you're honestly giving a good product yeah. and the people are buying your product and it's honesty. That's a lot different than people making money because they have good lobbyists. Yeah. And that's how it works now. Well, you talk about profits. I must have been reading your mind because put on the next clip. Guess who makes the stingers, Dr. Paul? This is going to shock you. <laughs> Let's put on that next clip if we can, please. Raytheon, look what's happened to their stock since the violence in Ukraine started. It has shot way up. War brings bigger dividends. Raytheon is thrilled that they're going to be having uh, millions and millions of dollars spent sending stingers into Ukraine. Um, but, you know, you mentioned the poor people that are suffering. And, you know, Zelensky's in a bind, too, the Ukrainian president, because on the one hand, he has his puppet masters and protectors in, in NATO, the EU, and Washington, D.C., telling him, because, you know, they were going to start negotiations several days ago. They told him, don't do it. And it's, it's, it's out there completely. I mean, the U.S. has admitted, don't go negotiate, don't talk down. On the one hand, he has this, and if he loses his only protectors there, he is really vulnerable. On the other hand, the Russians are pressing forward. Uh, and we know from uh, Colonel McGregor has given me uh, briefings, uh, in, as well as a group of other people, we know for a fact on the ground that it's, it's indisputable that Russia controls the airspace, and they're moving on, in on Mariupol, they're moving in on Kiev, they're firing on cities, civilians are being harmed, so the longer... They wait for the inevitable to happen, as the colonel would say, uh, uh, the more innocent suffering. So Zelensky's in a huge bind. He's in a huge vice, uh, and it remains to be seen what might happen. Obviously, I have my preferences, which, which is what they, they would get together today in, in Belarus and come to some sort of agreement, uh, go back to status quo ante, which was going to be the case anyway of neutral Ukraine, not armed to the teeth, not aimed toward Russia. I want to make one point of the article you quoted on anti-war, and this has to do with Germany because they have a recent policy which said that their new new government policy of not sending weapons into a con <laughs> a, a conflict zone. They've already broken, yeah, they've broken their, their policy statement. The U.S. allies have also pledged to send stingers to Ukraine, including Germany. Yeah. So, so they're doing it. And you wonder, is it political pressure? Is it the profiteering that goes on or just stupidity or what? But it's expansion of the war, uh, incrementalism. And, uh, you know, maybe, it, maybe it's uh, 
maybe foreign policy is similar to economic policy. You know, they, they increase the inflation, they increase the inflation of the money supply. Then all of a sudden there's a bust. So maybe it happens this way. We incrementally expand these wars until somebody really gets hurt and involves a lot of people. And that, of course, is what we would hope to be able to avoid. Yeah. And, I, you know, we talked about Michael Tracy a lot yesterday. He's had some really good insights. And I, I think I attribute that to the fact that he's a real journalist. You know, he doesn't just take sides like you're supposed to. If we can put up that next clip, because we're talking about escalation, rhetoric, and reality. And if we can put that next one. So here is a quote from the president of Poland, Andrzej Duda. And he says, uh, this is an article about what he says from Stripes, Stars and Stripes. Duda's statement comes as the U.S. and its NATO allies ramp up military support for Ukraine while trying to avoid getting drawn into the war. And Michael Tracy makes the point, trying to avoid getting drawn into a war by ramping up military support for that war. <laughs> a uniquely American logic pretzel, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's good. Uh, this one other item that sort of goes along with it, also from anti-war, EU plans to send fighter jets to Ukraine, but the planes are falling apart. Well, the deal is falling apart. The deal is falling apart. That they were going to, and it's really fascinating because this is how the, uh, the head of foreign policy for the EU got way out ahead of its member countries. He said, we're going to send 100 Russian Soviet-era fighting jets over to Ukraine, and the Ukrainian side said they're even going to be stationed on, on Polish soil. Uh, and the countries that he mentions, which I think is Bulgaria, Slovakia, and Poland, after the foreign minister of the EU said it, each of them in turn said, no, no, we're not going to give planes. We're not going to, what's he talking about? We're not going to do this. You mean they didn't coordinate things so well, huh? <laughs> well, they realized that launching planes from Poland to attack Russians in Ukraine may not be the best idea. So they got a little cautious all of a sudden. All of a sudden, right? yeah. Well, we want to talk about some of the economics. Uh, and if we can put up that next clip, we saw this on Zero Hedge this morning. Um, and I know you've got a lot to talk about this, but it's the issue of the economy and what the market is doing with the threat of a total embargo of Russian oil and the effects on the U.S. The latest news is the White House says they're open to sanctions on Russian oil and gas. Uh, so what does that yes, all mean? It, well, it means that things are going to get worse, and it means that the gasoline is going to cost a lot more money. And, you know, it's, it's some, some of this is sort of voluntary and self-inflicted because some of the oil was getting out, and, and now, you know, it's bad policy. It's sort of like the political pressure put on people. If you don't uh, follow the rules of wokeism, then you get blackballed and all. I think you're, I, I sense there's a little bit of that in there. Oh, you mean you're taking, you're taking the oil, you're going to be in trouble. It wasn't even that they came down slamming on, don't take it, because in, in a way uh, it was tiding us over a bit, getting some of that oil. But they came to the point where they literally uh, have quit taking it and reduced it. And I thought, do they know that that's going to hurt the American consumer, that the American government, our economy, and they're doing it, it, it they become blinded. Yeah, but we're going to even hurt the Russians more. Well, by now they've probably compensated for all the sanctions and they're not going to all of a sudden be angels because, uh, be, because of this. But it, to me, the thing that struck me is just weird that uh, we were we were playing into this but but you could say that about all sanctions when you put sanctions on 
you can expect the, it, it's sort of like tariffs, you know. Think there's retaliation, and and nobody really wins at wars if you don't have true victors, victors in the, in this war, and that's what happens with these hot wars too. So who who knows how long this uh, this little war is going to last? Some people think it's going to be over in a few weeks, and some people say. Uh, they thought it was going to be over uh, uh, with shock and all, and that we'd be in and out of Afghanistan too, and that took a long time. The plain truth is, is nobody knows exactly when it's going to be over. If it's over quickly, it might might be a good sign. <laughs> it might be that uh, the most brutal authoritarians have won the battle, and it wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't be ended because there would be a continuation of the hatred and the fighting that's been going on for a good while. Well, you know, the, uh, I'm just reading here on The Guardian as you're speaking, I want to get the latest, but they're reporting now that uh, Brent crude is now $113 a barrel. We've seen natural gas go, uh, I think, from about 1,000 a, a cubic ton, 1,000 uh, euros a cubic ton. Now it's more than doubled. I think it was up to 2,200, if I'm not mistaken, this morning. What's that going to do the, to the economies, especially of Europe that's having an energy crisis? You know, in, in this article that I quoted before, it said that nobody will buy the oil now despite record discount. They're willing to sell it <laughs> on the cheap, but it's sort of the political and the psychological thing. And, and uh, you know, yes, if we have to punish ourselves, we will. But, you know, hardly are they fighting for the cause of liberty <laughs> and making the people suffer even more. Uh, you know, that's one thing I don't think the average American uh, would say, you know, today they're going to go out and they're, uh, you know, the four dollar a gas, a gallon of gas is just around the corner, if not already here. Yeah. And then it's going to be five dollars. But they're not going to think about this. They're going to not think about it. They'll, they'll just say, well, it's, it's all Russia's fault or all, you know, somebody else's fault. But they would never accept the fact that maybe our stupid policies have had something to do with it. Maybe, maybe inflation is part of it. Maybe debt is part of yeah. it. And maybe the Federal Reserve printing money is part of it. They're just going to be angry and they're going to say, I, I want my government uh, to, to take care of me, so send me, send me more money. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the president already signaled, you know, when, the, when this war first started, Americans are going to have to get used to higher prices now because we've got to defend democracy in Ukraine. <laughs> oh, yeah, so yeah. he's already tied the two together, and we talked about it before on the show. On the one hand, he kind of has a, an excuse for things going south. Hey, don't blame me. I'm just trying to save Ukraine. But on the other hand, he's now got that tied around his neck. At what point, if he keeps saying that, are Americans going to say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm all for Ukraine. I, it's a great, you know, they should be free, but I don't like paying six bucks a gallon. And truck driver's going to say, well... Uh, your, your stuff's going to cost a lot more because we're spending a ton of money on diesel. Uh, at what point are Americans going to say, oh, you know, I don't know about this? You know, maybe we can call this speech last night malaise too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Well, the next segment we wanted to do, we could sort of theme it as cooler heads. And if you put up that next, uh, that next clip, uh, this is Mexico, our neighbor to the south. Mexico declines to impose economic sanctions on Russia. And when I saw that, I, I, I sort of, maybe I'm just getting a little bit nutty with all the stuff going on. It sort of reminded me of COVID. You know, when the COVID came out, 90% of the countries in the world got hysterical and did the most hysterical things that turned out to be counterproductive. And there were just a couple of holdouts. Sweden and a couple of other places held out. 
This sort of reminds me of this. The world is going hysterical about sanctioning Russia, and Mexico says, you know what, I, I don't think this is a good well, idea. Uh, you know what, maybe, maybe what really will happen is Mexico does that, and that angers our government, and our government comes along, and we impose strict, uh, strict rules against Mexico, maybe they'd re reduce the illegal immigration. You know, they're, Sanctions. <laughs> they're going to they're slow that down. We don't like all those imports. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. We'll see where that goes. Certainly the U.S. has the ability to put a lot of pressure on Mexico if it gets to that point. Um, in the next Cooler Heads, we, we talked about it a little bit, but let's, let's put that up with that second one just to remind the viewers of the second in the cooler heads. This is the, the deal falling apart about uh, sending the jets over. This is where the bureaucrat who runs foreign policy for the EU got way out ahead of the member countries who are not that awfully keen on getting dragged further in uh, to the fight. And then the next one is, is Hungary, which is, uh, is really threading a needle here because they're EU members, they're NATO members, but they also rely a lot uh, on the Russians for oil. And they also rely a lot, first of all, there are a lot of um, uh, uh, ethnic Hungarians living in Ukraine now because that part of Ukraine used to be part of Hungary for a long time. Uh, so you got that issue and then you have a lot of pressure but you also have Hungary uh, who actually uh, Viktor Orban from Hungary was not long ago meeting with Putin trying to secure energy prices for Hungary so he's trying to maintain a reasonable relationship on both sides. Can we can put that back up please. So this is what uh, Hungary announced. Hungary will not supply any weapons to Ukraine I think it was yesterday that the Hungarian government said we will not even allow shipment across our territory of weapons into Ukraine uh, because, you know, for reasonable reasons, they're afraid that they're going to get bombed because the Russians are going to get sick of seeing weapons coming in that kill Russians. And so they say we don't want it. We don't want us to get bombed. We don't want ethnic Hungarians in Ukraine to get attacked and bombed. So, you know, count us out. I have the solution tomorrow. Ban NATO. Ban NATO. And then they don't have to worry about all these these difficult decisions on what to pay. They would probably defend themselves, and they would be prepared, and they'd settle disputes between, you know, the borders uh, in a different manner rather than NATO and threats and the United Nations and uh, all the all the things that they go through, plus uh, pseudo military operations. So, no, that's not going to happen. But uh, as I mentioned before. Even at the beginning, right after the war, uh, Taft anticipated exactly what's happening, that it would lead to this type of conflicts. And, uh, but, but, you know, th this has been going on for these years. I mean, it, the other day when we did, pointed this out, I pointed out the fact that it was just months, you know, after NATO was passed that <laughs> we, we, were, we were both impressed that, Wow, they were they were in Korea, <laughs> and here it was a North Atlantic Treaty. So uh, they they had their plans too. That's why the the founders had it right, and uh, from the beginning, no entangling alliances. People say, well, that's isolationism, uh -huh. isn't it? Well, um, some people d d d uh, sort of like that word. I don't like the word. I like non-intervention yeah. because because I think true liberty brings people together and you trade and you talk and you work out things uh, in your neighborhood. But uh, <clears throat> not uh, uh, it's, it's not done that way. Now it's politicized and it's 
power and its weaponry and its financial big dealing. And then there's always managers uh, of this. It's not like there's going to be no managers. Like in free markets, the managers are dispersed. Uh, and if you, but the the managers here would be the deep state, <laughs> and they get to make all the all the noise. I think they make uh, so many decisions about our elections and everything. Like that. That's probably being pretty cynical <laughs> that they actually have something to say about. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I knew that was occurring. You know, if anybody wanted to be the chairman of a particular big committee. They were insiders. They knew them, and they were friends with the insiders on the other side of the aisle, too. Well, you know, you say the simple band NATO. In fact, we should use that for a bumper sticker and sell it. But it's, <laughs> it sounds simple, but it actually makes a lot of sense, and it's actually very deep thought in a simple wrapper, because it would be hard for me to imagine the Europeans being so gung-ho about this, getting involved in this conflict in Ukraine without NATO there behind it, without the bombastics of, yeah. of Stoltenberg. It's just hard to imagine. Germany's been fairly clear-headed for a few decades uh, and now all of a sudden going wacky and getting involved without NATO. You know, the purpose of NATO was to deter violence, but the reality is is that NATO's encouraging violence. Right. So, you know, the Euro let the Europeans handle it, you know. But I guess the final thing we wanted to talk about real quickly is the, this move by the EU to ban any broadcasting by RT and Sputnik because they don't want foreign propaganda. They don't want to have. Uh, you, you can't hear the uh, the Russian side of things. I think it's it's. I think it's disgraceful uh, because I think people should have access to all sides of the argument. Yeah, you know, and you know, I just I, it really hit me this morning because when, when I get up, I'm looking for news. I go to the computer, and but I turn the TV on too. I want to see each stations, and there's three or four stations out that would be considered Republican and conservative. I want to hear what they say, but I always click on RT. You know, uh, uh oh, I, you're going to be in trouble. I <laughs> confess. It. The cops are coming. <laughs> but uh, it, it just happens that, um, or this now, this is really radical. Sometimes you had a more independent opinion from RT yeah. than you did from CNN. You know, of course, it would be, be, be better. But, but anyway, there was no program, blank screen. Wow. So uh, that's, a, you know, the one thing they can't stand is hearing the truth. And, uh, so whoever was responsible, but uh, I think that has, the, I, I don't know whose rule that is. That would be probably our government banning it, wouldn't you think? It could be a cable carrier that says, yeah. okay, we're not going to carry it anymore. Intimidated yeah. and all that. So yeah. it's hard to reverse those things. Once they go, you know, to get it turned back on, it, it's uh, not going to be that easy. In the, and I don't remember the exact details, but I saw a tweet just before the show. One of the RT uh, presenters, uh, he commented, uh, on a comment from a European EU, EU official, and she put up a picture of the, ta of the town hall in Kar Kharkiv that was bombed. And she said, look, they bombed a school in Kharkiv. And the RT guy said, see, this is, this is not, this is the city hall. That's why you want to ban RT, because you want to be able to tell your lies and your propaganda without anyone challenging it, you know. Uh -huh. So it's, uh, it's a shame, I think, because it's the U.S. acting like it, it says that, that Putin is like. He's an authoritarian. He doesn't allow other opinions. He jails the protesters. Well, so that may be true, but we're kind of doing the same thing when we shut down media that doesn't agree with the U.S. government or the European governments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, as I think in the, about the big picture, 
I think the big picture of history and what's going on is those who seek the truth and those who distort the truth. And, you know, that, that can go back to the beginning of time. That, that was an issue. Who's telling the truth? Who knows the truth? It turns out that uh, nobody is, uh, nobody has total access to the perfect truth. And that's what life is all about, is sorting it out. Uh, the, the, and and this, this to me uh, is important, but it's very, we back up, we go backwards when the war breaks out. The truth becomes treasonous. You, yeah. you can't, you, you, they totally reject it. There's no effort. In more peaceful times, people, you know, have debates. There, there was a time in medicine that you could debate medical care, you know, and you could debate uh, natural immunity, and you wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't be penalized for it, seeking the truth <laughs> in a scientific way. But no, that was canceled. Uh, we, were, we were not allowed to do that. Then uh, politically, you know, the same thing in a more peaceful time uh, where, where as many people as possible should be seeking the truth. But then there's also the very small minority who are very, very aggressive. They want to eliminate the truth because they want to be dictators. Yeah. Well, I'll just close by thanking our viewers for continuing to, turn, to tune in to the Liberty Report. It's very difficult reporting on an issue like this when there's such an overwhelming amount of emotion on one side. We're trying to be cooler heads. We're trying to be analysts. We're trying to analyze the situation objectively rather than fall into the line of hysterics on all sides. And it's not easy because then you get hit from both sides for just trying to be cool and analytical about it. But we're dedicated to providing you the information as best we can digest it and put it out. We appreciate your support. If you want to support the show financially, you can go to ronpaulinstitute.org and make a tax-deductible donation uh, to the Ron Paul Institute, which is the producer of this show. And again, we thank you for your support uh, for the Ron Paul Liberty Report. Very good. I want to just follow up on my one short statement that I made. The solution to all this is not complicated. Just, just ban NATO. Get out of NATO. Cancel NATO. It's unnecessary. You know, most of our history, we didn't have NATO. We didn't have the United Nations. We didn't have the, uh, the uh, uh, Federal Reserve. We didn't have fiat money. And yet that's all has changed. And it wasn't like we didn't know what was right, because I think the founders were put in that group that I just talked about uh, seeking truth political truth and they were very much aware of history and the progress made by emphasizing uh, the truthful things of things but now uh, I think we've drifted a long way I think our last 100 years has been very very detrimental the progressive era has been with us and you say, well, <clears throat> there's no hope now. Look how far we've been over 100 years, and they've infiltrated, and that's what COVID was all about. They've infiltrated everything, the media, the schools, the medical profession, the whole thing. And yet I remain uh, optimistic that there has been and is a remnant of people who know the truth, and that remnant is actually growing, and it's those ideological uh, efforts made by many, many people that makes all the difference in the world. Because I do believe in the long run that uh, truth wins out. And if, when an idea whose time has come, uh, it can't be stopped. Right now, a bad idea has come, and these last hundred years has been bad, but it has to be challenged. The opportunity is before us right now because it's such a failure. 
people talk about this failure that we're facing and what this year in, a, in politics will be like, but uh, I'm not so sure that they have a clear understanding of what has to be used to replace the system that is falling apart. And I think that's what we want to participate in. And that's why we work very hard to promote the whole cause of peace and prosperity. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.